Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to this week's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. My name is Ian Fisher. I'm your host for today. And I don't know about you, but it's getting cold where I am. It's it's been raining steady for the last couple of days, and we're staying inside. We're bundled up. We're dry. We're waiting on the arrival of winter just a few days from now. I My wife reminded me the other day that, that winter actually doesn't start until December 21st, even though it feels like it's been here for about a month now. So I don't know if that's good news or bad news for your listeners, but uh, I'm here just to tell you the facts. Uh, We have a great show for you, so uh, you can take a moment to pour yourself a cup of tea, stoke a fire, ease on down into that comfy chair in the front room, you know, the one where you do all your podcast listening, uh, and we'll get started. So my first guest today is the Managing Director of Operations for our longtime partner, Arbor Bridge. It's really nice to be able to say longtime partner, Uh, and she's an expert on almost everything that touches the standardized testing landscape. Uh, I'm delighted. Delighted to welcome Megan Stubendeck back to the show. Hey, Megan. Hi. Thanks for having me, Ian. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back. I always learn uh, something really interesting or multiple things really interesting when we have uh, our conversations together. And I want to I talk about landscape because this is something that I, I don't recall exactly when it came out a few months ago um, and was initially sort of publicized as an adversity score. Um, And I think that they decided that they were going to change that, I think, wisely so. But can you introduce this concept of landscape from the College Board to our listeners who might be unfamiliar with it? Yeah, and I think it might be actually the easiest way to do that is to start with that background story you were hinting at of the adversity score, change to landscape. Um, So I'll just sort of rewind the tape a little bit. Um, Basically, what most people sort of experienced with this was is Back in the spring, uh, the Wall Street Journal actually uh, published a story about this new resource that the College Board was building called the Adversity Score. Um, and basically what they had done is they'd gotten a story, um, from what we can kind of tell, is that they'd gotten a story about um, this new dashboard that the College Board, which generally is known for writing the SAT and giving students the SAT and scoring their SATs, uh, was building this new dashboard for colleges to log into where they could learn more about a student's neighborhood and high school um, experience Mm -hmm. uh, or sort of the high school they're coming from and the neighborhood they're coming from. And on this dashboard was going to be a score, a a sort of one-and-done score out of 100, ranking the adversity um, of the student's high school or neighborhood. So that's really where most people sort of came across it for the first time, and it had already been used in a few select test cases um, at select uh, colleges that had to sort of opted into the experimental stage of it. So Wall Street Journal picks up the story, they start talking about it, and the College Board is caught kind of off guard. <laughs> they really struggled at first to, to deal with sort of the fallout because a lot of people were had tons of questions and were hysterical about it and asking a lot of things. So they, you know, planned to go back to the drawing board and they did. And uh, a few months later, the college board came back out and unveiled what they called this new dashboard called Landscape. Um, and what Landscape basically is, is that a college can log into this uh, dashboard that the college board is creating, and they can see for any student uh, three specific uh, 
pieces of data. The first piece of data shows that student's, uh, the SAT averages from that student's high school. So it's a comparison metric, kind of like showing where you sit among other kids from your high school. The second piece of data is a score out of 100 still um, that measures the adversity of your neighborhood. Um, and then a third piece of information is another score out of 100 that measures the adversity of your high school. So basically, the higher your score on those 100-point scales, the more adversity um, of your neighborhood or school. So that would be a school that possibly has low income, um, uh, uh, adults with fewer, less education, higher crime rates, and things like that. That's what a higher score means. So. Yeah. I know everyone is like, oh, the adversity score is gone. Is it really gone? The college board just rebranded it and kind of split it from one score to now two scores, neighborhood and high school. That's basically what we're talking about now. And it's been pretty well received, actually, since that unveiling of the new landscape. There really hasn't been much of a brouhaha about it this time. Yeah, I, I think that they just... I mean, it's interesting to hear the backstory that they were sort of caught off guard. I think it was just sort of a, a real marketing and branding error in this case. Anytime you use the word adversity, I think adversity, we sort of think of an individual impact, right? So a person experiences adversity. It's hard to assign a score of adversity to an individual person given all of the experience that they have and the uniqueness of that experience. But I do think that, you know, one of the words that we use most often when we talk about college admission is context. Where does the student come from? What sort of opportunities do they have that are available to them, whether that's family opportunities, opportunities that are provided in the high school, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is a way for College Board to help fill in some pieces of that puzzle so that it's a little bit easier for a college admission officer, especially a new college admission officer who might be right out of college and is new on the job and doesn't know a lot of the details about these different neighborhoods, to be able to look at a particular score and understand where a student lies relative to other other students in their space. One question I wanted to ask, is there any interaction between a student's SAT score and the landscape? Are these completely independent? Do they intersect in any way? Is there anything on a student's score report that talks about landscape? How do those sort of things interact with one another? Yeah, so from what we can, what we've gathered from the college board and from what the colleges are saying, and so remember that we as outsiders don't have access to landscape. In fact, that was one of the major complaints that parents and students yeah. raised, which I think is a really valid complaint um, when this first uh, started talking about it, is that they can't see the scores that are on this. They don't know what the college are, are seeing. And so, in fact, it won't be on your score report when you get it. It won't say, oh, your landscape scores are this, and this is how you compare necessarily to your high school. Only the colleges see that. Now, there is plans within probably about next year or so um, to give access to students and parents um, that access to that information. And the college board heard everybody loud and clear. So they are going to change that. Um, but in terms of what the colleges are saying and how it interacts with your SAT score, the biggest part is that first part of landscape, which is showing how you compare in terms of the average SAT scores from your high school. That's really the only place where it's plugging into your score. It in no way affects your actual score. It's not like you might score a uh, 1350 on the SAT and because your landscape um, adversity score, you come from a high school that maybe has lots of APs and you come from a neighborhood where there's a low crime rate that suddenly they're going to dock you 50 points off of your SAT score. There's no, no interaction like that. Your SAT score is still your SAT score and that doesn't change. 
And, and that's important. I think it's important for students to understand and, and um, you know, you get the score that you get. Now, there are other processes that are happening within an admission office that are incorporating all these different pieces as they come together. And that's when we talk about things like context. And this is, again, is another piece like that. And I think we've talked on the show in the past about the high school profile, which is another document that in many ways is a sort of landscape uh, you know, piece of the puzzle that talks about what a particular high school has to offer. And so this is sort of happening on a grander scale. Um, Megan, in terms of the inputs for this score, is there, what, what's the information that they're drawing upon? Is it just based on sort of census-based uh, data around the neighborhoods and then testing at, at individual high schools? Um, is there anything else that they're bringing into it or, or have they been at all transparent about what the sources are for creating this landscape? Yeah, they've been actually increasingly transparent, particularly with that second unveiling when they were kind of caught on the first uh, in the unveiling when they were sort of outed by the uh, Wall Street Journal, they weren't as transparent, but they've gotten much more transparent over time about what's included here. I would say the um, each of the three components, the three different um, components that are on landscape, are really drawing from different sources. Obviously, that first component that's comparing you to the SAT scores of other students from your high school, that's really just College Board data because they know everyone's SAT scores from the beginning of time, everywhere in the world. So they have that data on all of us, um, whether whether we like it or not or want to know it or not. Um, it's that they do have that and they control that data. Um, sure. But the other questions about sort of neighborhood and school, the neighborhood data is mostly coming from census uh, records um, and material that's publicly available to anyone, actually. Um, and they're drawing from that and just sort of simplifying it for college admissions um, people. And then the high school data is drawing from a number of different things. A lot of it is coming from uh, the surveys that students fill out at the beginning of the test, um, indicating, you know, which high school they go to, um, mm. their grades and, and sort of the co- courses that are um, offered. Also, the, the College Board is inputting information about using the number of APs that might be available in a school to uh, score the school's adversity level and that sort of thing. And they obviously, as the people who also write and administer the AP exams, know which, which schools have those sorts of resources. So it's, they're drawing from a, a number of different places, depending on which part of landscape you look at. And so, you know, their big value add is that they're an aggregator and they've got all of this really terrific data on all of these students and they can put those things together and help paint a picture, which I think is part of what any sort of data provider is, is looking to do as a, an added value for its clients. I, I was actually talking with a dad a week or two ago in a counseling session and he said, I love to play with data. Where can I go and find information about individual colleges so that I can compare them? And I said, well... It's hard to do. You can you can buy the data from somewhere like Peterson's, or you can go to the common data set for each individual school and gather it. But there, you know, it's hard to find really good aggregators that help to paint pictures in interesting ways. And I think that's where College Board is trying to step in and, and be helpful for colleges as they make these decisions. Now, Megan, we had talked sort of offline about some of the changing trends around. Um, standardized testing in the admission process. And especially, I think, uh, some conversation from, I want to say it was the uh, chancellor at uh, University of California, Berkeley, that said, you know, they might be considering doing away with uh, required testing in their application process. And so we had talked a little bit about why the college board might be bringing landscape out as a 
market offering. Do you want to sort of talk a little bit about what that move looks like um, and, and why they might be doing this at this particular point in time? Yeah, and I think you've really hit the nail on the head when you're talking about the College Board as this data aggregator. Um, you know, the thing that is important to keep in mind is that colleges have been looking at this kind of data for a really long time. Some of them have built their own systems to do this. Um, mm-hmm. It's always been part of this process. And, uh, you know, just like that dad who sort of, you could say, could go to Pearson's and put all the data together and then aggregate it and think about it himself, College Board is stepping in and saying, hey, colleges, we know you do this. Can we make it easier for you? Um, and the College Board even said, you know, the colleges asked them for that. And so what they're trying to do here is play a new role um, yeah. in the college admissions landscape, or rather just expand this role that they've always done, which is provide quantifiable data to colleges that they can use in making admissions decisions. And so they're just adding to that offering to colleges. Um, and the reason you've really also sort of sparked, uh, you know, hit the really sensitive part for the College Board, which is they are looking at the world around them right now and realizing that, you know, that these tests that have been part of our lives for so long, and I, I mean, I'm sure many of your parents listening out there remember the, the anxiety of taking these tests. I mean, I do too, and I'm sure yeah. you do as well. Yeah. Um, this is a rite of passage in America, and this rite of passage may not exist. 10 years from now, or even five years from now, in the way that we've all known it. And so the College Board sees the writing on the wall and is really trying to find other ways to expand what they um, are offering. And it's not just the test optional movement. Um, they're also recognizing that the ACT is nipping at its heels, like very close. They've always been sort of competing with each other over the last 10 years to be the most important and most popular test. And ACT is fighting hard to do that. And ACT is doing other things to respond to test optional. SAT is really doubling down on this um, data gathering role that it plays. And I think the third thing that they also are realizing is that the SAT did this big redesign a couple of years ago, and they did that to align with the Common Core in hopes that states would also say, oh, we have to have these federally mandated tests that kids have to take to align with Common Core. Uh, we'll just use the SAT for that. And Common Core is starting to drop out of favor, and a lot of states are abandoning it. And so the SAT is looking at this landscape and saying, we need to stay relevant. And the best way to do that is to provide a new aggregated data that really works best if you take the SAT and still require the SAT. Um, right. So that's really, I think, where their, their mind is, uh, sort of where their hearts are at the moment. Now, there was some conversation around um, colleges still being able to use the landscape for ACT test takers and and perhaps doing sort of a uh, translation from an ACT score to an SAT score and then looking at how that fits into the landscape because my my understanding is correct. You would you would purchase landscape and use it whether or not a, an individual student has an SAT score. And so you could do that translation and then plug it in. Is that right? Yeah, that's what my understanding is as well. And I think this also might hit for your readers too, or your, your listeners rather is a, is a question of like, oh, maybe they are worried for some reason about landscape and they want to avoid this new data aggregation thing. And should we take ACT instead to avoid being plugged into landscape? And right. the real answer is we, from what we can tell from what the um, College Board has said about landscape is that there is a conversion tool inside landscape where you can input an ACT score and sort of get the landscape information um, for a student's specific high school or um, and compare their uh, ACT scores against their, their peers at their school. So it's it doesn't seem that um, necessarily that the SAT will be um, 
you know, you can avoid it if you take ACT. And also, like I said, if colleges purchase landscape, uh, that's revenue for the College Board, too. So they're also thinking about that as just trying to make it as broad of a tool as possible that all colleges can use it um, in their in their data gathering and admission cycles. But, you know, generally, if you are a parent out there thinking about, oh, should I take the lens, you know, SAT or ACT based on this, don't really consider that. It's not, it shouldn't be a major factor. You still should take the test you, your child is best at, that, you know, so that they can shine when it comes to the, the testing requirements. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I, I always laugh when I hear about these sort of um, fights that we see between ACT and SAT about the appropriate way to concord the two scores and how those two things work. And ACT says, you know, you're not doing it exactly right and, and the other way around. And I laugh because when I was an admission officer, I was 23 years old, 24 years old, and I just had a grid taped to my wall that said, a 33 ACT equals this for an SAT. And I looked at that whenever I saw the SAT, ACT because I didn't know it very well. I took the SAT when I was in high school. And um, so I think there is still some of that. And, and what's helpful about the landscape is that it adds a little bit more clarity, especially for those newer admission officers who, again, it takes some time for them to learn context. And this is, I think, ensuring that there's a little bit of a more informed decision that's being made uh, when those applications come through. Um, Megan, do you have... I want to give you, we never do this on the podcast, but um, any predictions uh, related to landscape or standardized testing, you know, five, 10 years, I think you alluded to something there, but do you want to make any predictions here so that we can come back five years from now and say, wow, Megan really was right about that? Only if I make the correct prediction is the only case in which I'll come back. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I actually, I do think that the test optional movement is really going to gain steam. I think it'll be real. We're all watching very closely what happens at Cal and uh, the UC system in California. Um, That Mm -hmm. announcement should come out sometime in the spring because they are the trendsetter when it comes to testing. What they decide, in fact, you know, the reason we even have an SAT essay and an ACT essay is because they asked for it. And now everyone in the world must take that um, portion of the exam or at least has an option to take it. Um, they're really going to set the trend. Um, but I do expect that the test option movement is going to gain quite a bit of steam over the next couple of years. And the SAT and ACT are legitimately concerned. And I think one of the interesting things, things that might happen is that um, I think definitely the essay is going. I wouldn't expect that the essay will still be around in two to three years on those exams. Mm. And I think the other thing that they're going to try to start thinking about or integrating, and the ACT is really doing this already, is ways to measure, if possible, uh, social-emotional learning skills as part of these exams or as an additional exam offering, um, because that's a real hot topic in education right now. And the ACT is really making moves in that direction. That's actually a really great segue to our next segment because we're going to talk a little bit about non-cognitive variables um, in the admission process for Virginia Tech. So I want to thank you for coming on the show and giving that excellent lead-in to our next segment. But Megan, I always appreciate the uh, insight that you're able to offer to our families. Thanks so much, Dana. Thanks for having me. I really always enjoy our conversations. They're so lively. They force me to think, too, in new ways. I agree. Thanks so much. So, and if you're interested in learning more about Arbor Bridge uh, and their data-driven approach to standardized testing, you can visit arborbridge.com and you can let them know that you learned about us, uh, learned about them on the radio show here today with uh, Megan and me. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back after this to talk about supplemental essays for Santa Clara and Virginia Tech in a battle of East versus West. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back to the show. Now, we typically do a school spotlight in this slot, but we're so flush with great content today that I'm going to skip it this week and get straight to my next guest, who, once you hear that clear Midwestern accent come through, needs no introduction. Uh, <laughs> or that chuckle. Uh, but we're nothing if not professional on this show. So I'd like to welcome back to the show my colleague, former Georgetown admission officer, current college coach educator, Karen Spencer. Hi, Karen. Thank you, Ian. So nice to be back. <laughs> I know. It's great. I think I haven't spoken to you on the air in maybe two years. So um, let's see if we still got it. Um, we yeah, are going to talk today. You already started me. You took off some of my time for your first guest, but you're already on the, you know, in the doghouse. So we need to make up for it. I'm, I'm sorry, but that also took some time. So now, now we're definitely going to catch up. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're going to talk about Virginia Tech and Santa Clara. And I think that these are the similarities between these two schools is that um, they draw a lot of regional interest. Uh, Santa Clara is a school that a lot of students in the Bay Area are really drawn to. Virginia Tech, I think a lot of students in the Mid-Atlantic are taking a hard look at Virginia Tech. And so you've, because you're out in Virginia, you've seen a lot of kids apply there over the years. I've had a lot of students apply to Santa Clara over the years. Let's start with Virginia Tech. Um, they have four essay prompts as a part of their supplement. And I, want, I wonder if you could just share with our listeners what you said sort of between 
um, between segments as we were talking off the air about what these used to be. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about how they've changed. So Virginia Tech, until very recently, I'm going to say two or three years ago, used to have optional essays. You could answer anywhere from zero to three of them. They were short answer. I think they were 250 words. Um, And admissions officers were fairly honest about saying they didn't read them. (laughs) So, um, in fact, I know our colleague, Kenan, who I'm sure has been on your show many times, his son was touring, and he actually asked the question, do you have a preference whether, you know, somebody really answers into the option of zero um, up to three, you know, essay prompts, and was essentially told, like, we don't read these, write, don't write, don't care. (laughs) He was like, good to know. Um, So that kind of obviously... Um, informed my advising of some of my students who I still may write them, but, you know, we didn't spend as many, as much time on these as we might have other essays, for example. That's and right. then about two years ago, and I know you're going to talk about this in a minute, they changed course very, uh, like totally 180, um, totally changed course. Um, and now our, have four essays, all are required, um, and are very important and read by many outside readers, which I will let you talk about because I know you just talked with your wife this morning, who is a the resident expert on that topic. That's right, because she went to the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity, and Virginia Tech came to that conference, and they talked a little bit about some changes that they've they've put into their whole admission review process, and especially changes that they've made here to these essays. Now, what they're trying to get at is with these four questions, there are eight non-cognitive variables that predict academic success for non-traditional students. And this is based on research of a, a guy named William Sedlicek. And each of these four questions is looking at two of those non-cognitive variables. So you've got two in four essays, that's a total of eight. And what the admission office of Virginia Tech has done is they actually bring faculty and staff and and I think some students to read some of these essays and weigh in on, on feedback about how they think those students who are writing these essays are measuring up to those eight non-cognitive variables. And then they give that feedback to the admission office. Now, the non-cognitive variables are really, really interesting. Um, It's a big change, I think, from just looking at numbers, grades, courses, testing, um, in much the same way that Megan was talking about in the previous segment. And so now they're talking about looking at students in a, in, a, in a different kind of way. And I'd encourage our listeners to go look up those eight non-cognitive variables from Sedlicek. It's S-E-D-L-A-C-E-K. But Karen, I want to turn our attention to the essays themselves. They're long, right? Like, or the, the prompts are long. They're, they're each three or four lines. There are a lot of sub-questions in there. In general, when you see a prompt that has so many different components What's your first piece of advice for for a student, especially for an essay that's only 120 words uh, allowed, right? Where where do you start? Well, so I will say for these essays, actually, my advice gets shifted a little because normally when there's multiple prompts, I really tell students, be clear that you've answered every prompt, right? Um, The CEO of Bright Horizons has a famous test he always gives out when he interviews somebody. Um, he gives them three questions and pays attention to whether they've answered all three questions. By the way, my husband fails this thing all the time. I'm like, I sent you three texts, you answered both of these. Right. I think it's a male thing. But anyway, usually I would say, make sure you've answered every prompt. Make sure you've answered the questions, right? In this case, and I also said this earlier, to be frank, I do love the the goal of these questions. I do think 120 words to answer what is sometimes in one prompt five questions 
is a little ridiculous. So if anybody from Frontier Tech is listening, that is fine. <laughs> Quick feedback <laughs> is either answer last questions or give more workouts. I like a short essay. I'm a very big believer in a 250, 300-word essay because you have to kind of get in and out, um, and you can't kind of lose focus like you can with the Common App essay. This 120 words is really short. I mean, we're talking a few sentences here, which is hard when you've got potentially five questions about things as serious as acts of discrimination, right? This is, these are not small topics necessarily. So what I do try to get students to do is, why do you think you're asking this question, right? And I don't even go into the, all of the, the non-cognitive materials necessarily, but I do say, what is the point of this question, right? Why are we asking this? Why are they asking you this? And make sure that you answer what is essentially the crux of the question, even if you haven't directly addressed each prompt. Because to be honest, with 120 words, it's almost impossible with some of these to answer every single prompt as thoroughly as you normally would. So I say, okay, here is the essence, right? You're going to the essence here, not the actual question every single time, if that makes sense. So that's generally my guidance here is make sure you're answering, you know, the essence of the question, not necessarily all four or five prompts exactly as posed. That's right. And usually when I'm looking at a new essay supplement um, from a student, maybe it's one I haven't encountered for a couple of years or it's a new essay uh, prompt and, and I'm diving right into it for the first time, what I'll do is I'll use the highlighter tool in Microsoft Word or on Google Docs and I'll just go and highlight a particular thing that I think is the central question. So I want to sort of strip away some of the other stuff that's included in that prompt and get to the core of what that question is. So for example, for number one, there's five lines in the actual prompt, but I think that the real question is briefly describe a group organization or community that you have been involved with, right? That's what, that's the centerpiece of what we want to do. And then there are one, two, three, four, five follow-up questions, which as Karen says, you might not get a chance to answer all of those. Um, but you do want to make sure that you execute the task of briefly describing a group organization or community that you have been involved with. Um, I would also say that This really looks a lot like the University of California personal insight questions. And what they have there is there's one question, but then they also have some tips about how to address that question with other questions or things to consider. And it feels to me, Karen, like these are almost things to consider, the follow-up questions to each of the initial sort of tasks for every essay is to say, why don't you consider in an act of discrimination how you responded do you wish you'd responded differently? Did it lead to change? You don't necessarily have to answer all of those things, but you might answer some combination of things. Does that sound like th- that would be a good approach for students to take? A hundred percent. And I would love for them to write things to consider. <laughs> some kids didn't feel like they had to answer one of these questions, but absolutely, right? They're trying to give you some a prompt within the prompt, right? They're prompting you how to answer the prompt, right? Like this is, you know, ponder these things while you're answering the question um, in case some of these are the more salient parts of what you want to tell me um, as the admissions officer. So, yes, I 100% agree, um, you know, things to consider is, is, you know, I think exactly what these kind of sub-questions are asking. And, and this is actually, you know, just some more background for Virginia Tech, this has been a real positive change for them. I think they've seen a 21% increase in uh, first-generation and underrepresented students. They've seen a huge increase in the percentage of students on Pell Grants who have been able to accept offers at Virginia Tech. So they're able to look in a different way at, at students and what they bring to the table. 
One thing that's really interesting about that number two that we had just talked about, describe a situation where you were involved or witness to an act of discrimination. Um, one of the things that they shared at NCOR is that a lot of students said, I haven't, this hasn't happened to me. Yeah. Um, and what what is your recommendation for students where they're in that sort of scenario where, you know, they might say, wait, what discrimination? I don't, I, I can't think of anything. Um, what would you say as a counselor to that kid? Well, I think kind of two things. Um, and, and if you look at, it's interesting, um, it, it, if you look at the kind of non-cognitive variables you were talking about that they are looking at, one of the things they're talking about is you have sometimes two extremes of students. Students who find, you know, they feel that there's racism, sexism everywhere, and then there's kids who don't see it anywhere, right? And you're trying to find those people somewhere in the middle, right? Like, they recognize it exists, they learn which battles to pick, you know, that's kind of that middle ground of kids they're kind of looking for. So in some regards, saying you've never seen it is potentially, to me, kind of a little bit of a red flag to the admissions office to say, nope, never happened. Well, no, really? Never? Um, even if it right. didn't, um, you know, you witness to. And I think, so I think you need to kind of take this again in the, in the essence, right? So first is witness to. It doesn't have to have happened next to you necessarily, right? When have you witnessed the discrimination? And I also think, remember, it says discrimination it doesn't say racism. And I right. think the go-to with this question is to think racism, um, which very well for many people may be what comes to mind, and that's fine. But discrimination takes all forms, right? Maybe it was sexism. Maybe you're a girl writing this, and you, your gym teacher gave you a different assignment than all the boys. Okay, that's discrimination. Maybe it's not as serious as, you know, other forms of isms out there, but it's still an ism, right? It's a, it's, and that's really kind of what they're looking for. When did you see somebody get discriminated against? It could be also a slight, it doesn't have to, again, be massive, right? Maybe you came home and said you had a date with somebody from the football team and your, you know, mother or father asked a question about their race, right? Right. They, you know, I've heard this story from a few people, Right. Okay, is that, what does that mean to you, right? So it doesn't have to be something tragic. It doesn't have to be something massive. It just needs to be, because a lot of racism, ageism, sexism are subtle, right? These are kind of undercurrents that kind of run through things, right? When have you maybe seen that? Um, right. So I think, so it's two things. It doesn't have to be racism. It can be any kind of discrimination. Um, and then it could be, it doesn't have to be huge. It can be small. It can be... Um, it can be those kind of subtle isms that go around us. Right. And if you're if you're a senior who's still thinking about applying to Virginia Tech, and I think that there's still time for that, um, or if you're a junior who's going to apply next year, keep an eye out. I, I guarantee you, you'll see an act of discrimination sometime in the next two weeks. Um, if that's something that you're actively looking for, um, you, you might be more primed to be able to notice it. So um, it's not something where you're picking apart every little action that people do, but I think what Virginia Tech is looking for here is a sense of awareness that you understand and deal with discrimination in some sense. And so if you can do that, um, it's going to help to inform this. It's also going to make you more aware, which is what they want from students that are applying to their institution. Um, okay, Karen, I knew this was going to happen, that we were going to spend a ton of time on Virginia Tech and have only a little bit of time for Santa Clara, but that's the way it is. Um, so let's let's <laughs> fly all the way across the country to Santa Clara and talk briefly about the two 200 word ish essays that they have. Um, I'm gonna briefly the the first uh, prompt is. 
Describe what prompted you to apply to Santa Clara. If you've had the opportunity to visit campus, describe what aspect of your experience most influenced your impression of Santa Clara. The big tip that I have here, this is a sort of a, why did you choose to apply here? The big tip I have here is if you live anywhere close enough to be able to reasonably visit Santa Clara, you need to go. If you're in the Bay Area, if you're less than three hours drive away, you need to go and visit. Um, so it's it's not sufficient to say, I live in Oakland and I'm applying to Santa Clara and I haven't been over to see the campus. So you got to do your best to, to see the school. Now let's talk about the second one because this is a little bit more interesting. Um, it's about Jesuit values and the promise of Santa Clara to educate citizens of competence, conscience, and compassion. And they're asking students to write about an experience from their life that embodies an aspect of the mission. And this is a little bit like that sort of awareness that we talked about for Virginia Tech. How do you encourage students to think about responding to these essays, especially ones that come with a little bit of a Jesuit lens uh, in terms of the question that's being asked? Right. And I think that is kind of what they're getting at. Because if you look at these two questions, they look kind of like the same... um, a little bit of the same theme, right? Like, if you look at these at the surface, you'd think, why are you asking me the same question twice, uh, right? Essentially, they're kind of versions of why Santa Clara, right? right? So why are we asking this question twice? And the second, to your point, is really, the, the key word here is Jesuit values, right? Santa Clara is not just Catholic. Santa Clara is Jesuit. And the Jesuits are a very specific order of Catholicism, and, and there's many um, orders of Catholicism. They all kind of have their own flavor, um, of, of Catholicism, right? Uh, Jesuits tend to be on the more liberal side of Catholicism. I always joked at Georgetown, if you saw someone standing on the library steps with a whiskey and a cigar, not to panic, it was probably one of our priests. Um, so, you know, they're, they're a different brand of, of priests, but they're very interested in social justice. It's actually one of the reasons you often find, not in Santa Clara's case, but often find Jesuit schools not in fantastic neighborhoods a lot of the time. Um, they're very into being in the world and, and helping to solve the world's problems as they, they present themselves, which is not necessarily the focus of other Catholic orders, not right or wrong, but just aren't. Um, so this is really what they're getting at, is how do what it, why is something that you value in alignment with something that the Jesuits value? Right. How is this a good marriage? So it's not just about your marriage to the Santa Clara, but Santa Clara specifically as a Jesuit institution. Um, so really thinking about, and they list them here, and again, I would always read the mission statement in terms of references to the mission statement. You should go read it. Um, but, you know, the competence, conscience, compassion, right? What they're really talking about here, again, a lot of social justice. So think about any service, right? I usually say service is not imperative to apply to most colleges. I know there's some rumor out there that if you've never done community service, you're never going to college. I would say that's generally patently false. However, at schools where service is really a big driver and a big deal, perhaps this is something that should be important to you. Um, so, you know, is where have you done service? Where have you looked for the care of others? Um, where have you, you know, where has your conscience led you to be compassionate, right? So a lot of times these lead, lead to service or how you've kind of made the world, your corner of the world, a better place, right? I think that's kind of how you want to think about it. Yeah, that, I think that's great. Um, and, and just really an essential piece of the school. And, you know, one of the things that I always go back to with these supplements, schools want to tell you a little bit about who they are when they're asking these questions. It's not all about learning about the student. It's about that school sending up a message that says, we care about this stuff. And so you really want to make sure that when you're answering this question, that you're considering all of the values or at least some subset of those values that that Karen was describing there. So I think that that's perfect. Um, Karen, I want to thank you for rejoining me on the show. Uh, It's always great to hear your voice. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful holiday with your beautiful family. Thank you very much. You as well. Nice to be on with you again, Ian.
You got it, Karen. Now, it's the time of the year when everyone is traveling or running around getting thoughtful gifts for people you care about, maybe even a high school junior who's planning to apply to college next year. One of the things that I recommend for high school juniors is that they start reading a little bit um, or engage with a book. And we want to talk about the gift of Audible membership here at this uh, point in the show. Audible is a great opportunity for a student to get to engage with an audiobook, maybe if they don't have the time to sit down and read. Maybe they've got a lot of extracurricular activities. There's a lot of stuff that's going on in their lives, but they do have an opportunity to put on some headphones when they're doing the dishes or mowing the lawn, maybe with some noise-canceling headphones, and they can listen to a really great book. Now, this is a great time. We've got a special offer of 53% off the first three months of Audible. You want to go to audible.com slash college coach. It's all one word, audible.com slash college coach, and you can get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. Now, let's say you've got a student who's interested in data analytics. You can hear Moneyball as an audiobook. You can listen to Range as an audiobook. Really great books that tell you a good deal about how data works in athletics. And you know, that might be a great gift for someone who's really into podcasts and hasn't had a chance to sink their teeth into a good book lately because of so much busyness. So for the, the student out there that's great at listening, that does a always got their <laughs> you know AirPods hanging out of their ears, Audible providing a great deal, 53% off your first three months. Just use the code audible.com slash college coach, or you can text college coach to 500 500 and you'll get audible for three months at six ninety five a month, which gets you one audiobook and two audible originals absolutely free every single month. Again, that's audible.com slash college coach. And we'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, 
philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. Now we're going to turn our attention over to finances, as we like to do in our final segment every week. Uh, And joining me to talk a little bit about the way to think about finance, especially over the winter break, uh, is my colleague from actually across town, which is really exciting, um, Alex Gonzalez. Hey, Alex, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to have you here. And we are talking a little bit about, I think, something that families, when they think about the cost of college, they're usually thinking about tuition, room and board, maybe some you know living expenses during the, the time that a student might be away. But we want to spend some time today talking about winter break because it's a lot longer than students are used to in high school. And um, while, I mean, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about why this is a, a time that a student should be especially aware of the way that finances are being managed? Well, I think you hit it on the, on the head there in the sense that it's a little bit longer. Um, you know, uh, families are typically pretty savvy on um, their college budget while the student is away. Um, or, you know, and, and spring breaks might uh, or fall breaks might be uh, maybe only a week or, or, or mixed with a holiday. And so it might, in, in terms of kind of downtime, um, winter break is where you do have a lot of downtime um, um, and coming maybe coming home for the holidays. And so um, with that time, it can get expensive. Uh, right. you, you know, you don't have that meal card. Uh, you're not going to class. And so you might have some idle time that um, and that that you have at hand. And so, you know, you're thinking, OK, let's. It's relaxing and it's a good break. Um, congratulations for the semester, but um, it, you don't want to go nuts and, and start spending and seeing all these holiday ads that are out. And, um, and right. so being mindful of your budget is important. Yeah, I just sort of think of the scenario of, uh, you know, a college junior. Let's say they've, they've turned 21 at college and they come home for winter break and all their friends are there and they're going out to the bar and buying each other drinks. And it's like, I can do this now with all my friends from high school for the first time. And it's like, well, you should probably be a little bit more careful with your spending. And, and this is a time of year when there's a ton of spending that's happening. So, you know, be aware, I think, of that. But there's also this time that you have allows for an opportunity maybe to get in some extra income, um, right? So you can control what your expenditures are, but you can also potentially get a little bit of extra money on the side. That's part of what that extended break gives you. Any recommendations that you might have for students to think about ways of getting a little bit more money this time of year? 
Yeah, um, embrace the the gig economy. This is a great time. Um, <laughs> you know, back, you know, maybe back in the old days where you would have to, you know, um, apply for a job and you'd have a nine to five during the holiday week, and it was really cumbersome in terms of your schedule. Well, the gig economy can be really flexible. So um, taking advantage of that, there might be um, approaching your summer employer is a great strategy is that maybe you had a summer job, um, make, connecting with them to see if they have holiday work for you or seasonal work might be a great opportunity. Um, seasonal, I guess, gig economy in the sense that short-term stints. So maybe there's uh, a tree lot that you're taking advantage of, a gift shop, uh, a restaurant that needs some extra people because it's kind of more of a tourist town um, for the holidays. Um, can be really great opportunities for you to take advantage of. But those are kind of more formal where, you know, you're downloading an app or you're going to a business and you might have regular hours. Another thing that you can think about is that other people are back, uh, that students um, um, in high school or grade school, well, sorry, grade school are probably out and about, um, and their parents are working. So childcare is a big issue. So maybe reaching out to your local families in your area and providing ch- childcare during the winter break. Um, no, that's great. Um, I mean, I was, also, I was actually thinking we had a great um, babysitter uh, a couple of years ago, and and then you know we had her for about four or five months, and then she had to go off to college. And it was like, darn, we really liked her. The kids really liked her. Um, it would have been really awesome, you know, if she'd been able to reach out when she came back over the winter break and say, hey, is there anything that I can do? It's, it's a great time. There's holiday parties for my wife and I to go to. And it would be awesome to have a little bit of extra help uh, in terms of babysitting. Um, so that, that's a really great point. I think that, um, you know, connecting with families around this time of year can be uh, um you know, a really great opportunity for, for students. Uh, but I, I interrupted, I, I wanted to talk about my babysitter, but um, any, <laughs> I interrupted, you were, you were on another train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no worries. Yeah. It's a great point. Is that, uh, and I didn't think about the holiday parties in the sense that that really creates the, the idea that it potentially could be flexible. You're hanging out with your friends, having coffee in the morning or in the late afternoon, but then you're making some extra money um, in the evening. So right. really great way to, to be flexible. Another thing that I was thinking about was, um, you know, people are traveling for the holidays and they have pets, you know, I want my little taco, um, to be <laughs> safe and be fed. So, um, I want to make sure. So hiring somebody to come through or, uh, you know, I, I usually reach out to friends or, uh, family friends to, to see if they can take care of it. Uh, take care of my cat. So, you know, that might be something that you're thinking about doing or house sitting. You know, we, um, you know, you take care of your plants. So um, a lot of opportunities that you can take out that might just be easy um, and moving forward. That's right. I mean, it took us, it took us weeks to figure out, you know, we're going to be gone for about 10 days this, this winter. And, and it took weeks for us to figure out who was going to come and, and look after the house. We got a cat that needs to be fed. We've got a dog that needs to be walked. We've got dozens of plants that need to be watered. 
And, you know, my wife was sort of like, well, what about maybe there are some college kids that are staying here for the break and we can reach out to them or we can make a post on a web board. Um, keep an eye out for those sort of old fashioned ways of making contact. And, you know, you can even put up flyers in the neighborhood or at the local coffee shop and let people know that you're around to do odd jobs. I think a lot of people are sort of looking for that help this time of year. Um, and you can be someone that provides that, especially if you've got a lot of downtime. Um any other well, thoughts? Well, and it doesn't, yeah, and it doesn't have to be, you know, the old school flyer um, at the library. It could be, you know, you post that on social media, um, on your Facebook page or your Instagram, um, or your, your, your parents do that for you with their network. So um, it doesn't have to be that you're hustling around, you know, asking people on the bus if they need help. But there are some websites that are out there that um, provide these services as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a great point. I'm I'm actually reminded that um, you know Lyft, the the web app you, you mentioned, the gig economy, economy earlier. It actually started as a resource to drive students home during winter break, like a way for students to ride pool from universities back to their homes has become what we know it to be now. But, um, you know, there it's, yeah. it is a little bit about sometimes hustle or having an idea and, and providing a service to people that can use it. Um, now I wanted to switch gears here. We've got about four, four minutes left. Obviously students are going back to school in most cases for the spring semester. Um, and, School comes with cost as well. I mean, the holiday is a different flow, but when you get back to school, you've got some other things that you need to look at. Should students be taking the opportunity over this break to look at their financial aid or apply for scholarships? Is there anything that they can do to help support the cost of college? Yeah, that's a great point. Thinking ahead. Um, maybe that's not going to affect your, your spring semester, but definitely ex- experiencing that uh, uh helping support that that next year and and maybe reducing some costs. So there are some opportunities that you can think about. Um, One could be looking for local scholarships. So you might be coming home. There are scholarships in the area. Typically, those applications open up in the winter um, while you're on break. And so um, some of those scholarships that you might have applied for when you were a senior in high school might actually be open to all college students that are attending. So not only high school students entering in as freshmen, but undergraduate students and maybe even graduate students. I know that when I worked on a board um, for the Hispanic Metro Chamber, um, our scholarship is open to all college students. Um, While we recruited for high school students in their senior year, um, it still means that it's open. And we often offer... Um, three to five scholarships for um, undergraduates and, and one, at least one or two for graduate, uh, graduate students as well. And so looking at those local resources. Um, in addition to that, it could be the departments that you are, um, that you're planning on. So maybe you're in, uh, next year you're going to, you're going to apply to your, your major or the school, um, the, the college maybe a college of engineering or college of journalism. And there might be department-based scholarships that you need to start working on. And this is a great time because you're not in class. You're not in the hustle bustle of your workload. Um, And so a great time to sit down and research some of those opportunities. Um, Outside of those scholarships, thinking about taking advantage of um, the discounts that are out there. Maybe you're studying abroad. 
Um, a lot of airlines have deals for after holiday, um, after holiday lull. And so that might be a time where you're, um, you're planning on studying abroad. And so it might give you an opportunity or you're studying abroad in the summer might give you an opportunity to get a great deal on an international flight. Um, so yeah. great. No, I had a, I had a friend the other day that actually sent a note out to a bunch of us cause we're doing a reunion in January. There was a, he came across a 20% off Alaska air coupon code. He's like, you can use this for any flight between like January 15th and March 1st or something. Um, so it's pretty cool to see that those discounts are out there and students can think about it and take advantage of those. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're thinking about it, you never know. Maybe, some of those, uh, maybe that ant will give your airline miles versus that uh, holiday sweater that you never wear. So um, <laughs> talking about those in the, ho- you know, think- thinking of in advance and talking about what you're doing um, in those holiday conversations um, yeah. can spark opportunities. It's always the ant, isn't it? That poor ant. She's got to have better it, taste in holiday yeah. gifts, though. Um, Alex, I, I want to yeah. thank you. We're, we're all out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on the show today and, and talking us through how we can spend uh, some time a little bit more smartly uh, over winter break. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it, man. All right. That brings us to a close for today. I want to thank my guests, Megan, Karen, and Alex for joining us today with some really wonderful insight and conversation. Next week, is December 26th, and we will be back with an all-new episode that will touch on the common data set and answer many of your listener questions on both admission and financial aid. And we'll be around the following week on January 2nd with a brand new show for all you devourers of content. So look forward to a little college coach with that holiday eggnog. Until next week, enjoy the holiday break with your family, and we'll do the same. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy new year. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.